Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Welcome to the PI World interview on the 6th of December 2021. I'm Tamsin Freeman and today I'm delighted to be with Andy Bruff from Schroders who heads up the UK and European mid-cap and small-cap team at Schroders. That's true. Andy, great to be back with you. Um, I didn't know Ted Baker did ties. No, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, it's, um, <laughs> it's a victim of lockdown. And you get invited, I've just been to the House of Lords for lunch with Baroness Ford, an old friend of mine. And I literally had to try on every shirt in my wardrobe, which I could find one where I could vaguely get the top button done up. And even now I'm struggling. Right? So uh, yeah, lockdown hasn't been kind for me. So how's the year been? I mean, the markets have been, I mean, I'm much more aim and that's been fairly torrid over the last few months. How's it been for you? It has been, you know, basically, I think we should have just ended the year uh, at the end of July. I agree. And then, and then sort of disappeared <laughs> uh, because at the end of July, everyone was flying and you know, people were phoning me up saying, I can't believe how much money I'm making. You know, Bitcoin's an all-time high. Tesla shares have just gone up 42% in a month. And here we are, as we approach Christmas, looking at our portfolios and going, well, well what happened there? And clients are phoning me up saying, yeah, what happened in the last six months? And you go, actually, when you start looking through, okay, there's been a few profit warnings. But in the main, people have just sort of run for the hills. Yeah. Um, what do you make of Omicron? And, you know, it's sort of difficult to predict what's going to happen with that. Well, it's just it's like anything, isn't it? You, you look at these, you almost become sort of everyone's an expert now, aren't they? You meet anyone, they go, well, it's, of course, it's not as bad as Delta. And you go, well, what do you know about Delta? So I'm very lucky on my team. I've got Sylvia, who's uh, she was a graduate from Imperial. Oh. So she can talk to the people there. And, you know, they're worried about it. But, you know, no one's died from it yet. Mm. And, you know, that is the acid test, isn't it? And the trouble is, you know, it's very easy now. Once governments have locked you down once, it's very easy to say, right, you know, actually, we're just locking down again for a few times. And when you look at sort of the underlying companies and you try and work out what their earnings might be, you know, look at the travel and leisure sector. I mean, they've had sort of equity issues in spades. You know, mm. will they ever get back to mm. the earnings they made? Mm. And you contrast that to the sort of car dealers where, you know, perversely, the longer you can have keep the car on the forecourt, the more money you make. I mean, unheard of mm. sort of activity. And it's not so much, you know, which variant is it and how many Greek letters have we got left before, you know, we run out. But it's what is the impact on the underlying companies? And, you know, is people's behaviour a bit like inflation going to be transitory? Or is it going to be a sort of permanent adjustment where actually, you know, we don't travel away so much. We do more Zoom calls. We spend our money in a different way. And this this is the big thing. I think most fund managers and anyone investing in the market has got to be looking at and trying to get as many data points as possible to try and work out what is potentially the new normal. Mm. And just before we move on to inflation, do you think we're going to get the Santa rally this year? I don't know where Santa is, actually. I've been, that's, that's, I've, I've been in every bar in London. I still can't find him. <laughs> so you're not sure it's going to happen this I don't year? Think, no, I, think, I don't think we have a Santa rally this year. I think uh, you know, there's a few sort of ingredients which give me hope for next year. You know, at the moment, if, you, if you're a first-time buyer, then your mortgage is stress-tested with uh, interest rates of 7%. 
which makes it quite hard to borrow a decent amount of money. On the wires today, they're thinking about changing that. So people go, oh, fantastic. You know, it's fantastic. It's first time buyer. Another house market price boom or whatever. And we that would all end in tears at some point. But you just get the feeling that you need to sort of, you can't do furloughing. You need to kind of release the straight jackets in certain sectors and let people swap their rent, swap their rent, get a mortgage. And, you know, actually that might be quite interesting for the house building sector. And as, as we've seen before, that then feeds off into a lot of the consumer sectors as well. So if they change it from 7%, what are they talking about changing it to? Well, I don't know, but they might change it to 4 or 5. That's a big, that's a big factor. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, you've got more money to borrow, so you don't have to have such a high multiple potentially. And I think, you know, if you look at the stats now, people are paying as much in rent as they are in their mortgage interest payments, which can't, you know, if you came down from Mars and looked at that situation, you'd say, hold on a minute, why don't we just get everyone, lend them money to buy the house? They can pay us back. And that's a much better way of doing it. And you talk about inflation being transitory. Do you, do you really think it is? My, my big worry is, does inflation know it's transitory? You know, at the end of the day, you know, because it's just... And one of the problems is, and I was observing this on uh, Saturday night in the Cock Tavern in Hackney. I'm not being paid for, to say that, by the way. Um, in uh, the youngsters that I happen to be with, mostly members of my family, and they're the way they sort of bought things. Now, in the old days, you and I would hand over, you know, 20 or 30 quid note, 40 pounds, and we'd get the change and we'd actually have a view on what things cost and what they were, how things were changing. You know, chip and pin, uh, especially with my card in my kids' hands, you know, it's oblivious to, you know, tap, tap, tap. But a lot of people just tap now. And so, actually, if you're putting prices up by 4 or 5%, People aren't noticing. noticing. So, well, I also heard they were reducing measures too of, of wine, particularly from 175 to 125. Yeah, I'm not sure you're drinking in the right places. But anyway, <laughs> the, but, but, when you look, but again, it's like the other thing, isn't it? You know, we've had the shrinking chocolate bar, etc. And now we've got the shrinking wine glass. You know, mm. where, where will it end? But you know, that's the danger. Does it feed through into people's wages? And maybe it does. You know, today, Tesco's, uh, people said, right, 4% isn't enough. You know, we want six. Mm. You know, what, uh, the trouble with the inflation statistics is it kind of includes everything that isn't really going up in price much. So when you see a number of four or five percent, you think, actually, that, that is a big sort of increase. And, you know, the stuff I've looked at today, particularly from my favourite economist, Darren Winder, he's looking at it peaking at sort of five percent in March, coming down to three at the end of the year and then two. But you've still lost, like, potentially 10% of your savings, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think tapering will affect things? Because we had the taper tantrum back in 2018. How do you feel about that coming into next year? Well, I don't... It, the equity market is struggling, and it's struggling, really, because money is going out. Who's going to buy all the gilts at that sort of coupon? Mm. Is, is a big problem. And I think if I, if I was the Bank of England, and I didn't apply for the job, obviously, you know, but uh, I think I would have stopped reinvesting first and, you know, gradually wean people off mm. rather than saying, right, it's a guillotine, we're not buying anymore. Mm. And so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of demands uh, for cash. And what does that mean? Well, that means that, you know, people want to be paid more mm. if they're going to use their cash. 
You know, so if the banks actually want to increase their deposit base, they're going to have to pay more interest. If companies want to actually you know, raise money, then they're either going to pay higher dividends or attractive discounts to get people in. And if you're a bond investor, well, actually, you're looking at inflation of 5%. You, you, know, you probably want a coupon, coupon more than one, if I'm honest. Absolutely. So have you changed your investing criteria with inflation on the cards and this economic backdrop on the cards? I think what, what we've done is, you know, throughout this whole sort of pandemic or whatever, you know, we've always asked companies, you know, what have you learned about your business during COVID? Because it's been kind of like a seminal moment for a lot of companies. You know, mm-hmm. Games Workshop, I remember Kevin Rantree saying to me, Andy, you know, what we've learned is that we really rock, which only Kevin Rantree can say, right, you know, you're not going to get that from any other sort of CEO. But then the likes of lookers would say, we recognise that we didn't need 25% of our workforce because people were driving around in companies, company cars up to see their mates from another company mm-hmm. going out for lunch. And you know, their main business activity was filling in the expense claim when they returned to head office saying mm-hmm. yeah, everything's OK. Mm-hmm. And so it, it hasn't changed. It's like anything with investment is it's got, it's got to evolve. You know, there's always this talk, isn't it? You know, I'm a growth investor or a value investor. You know, you've got to evolve. You know, what we're trying to do, I think the main change, if there is a change, is we're trying to find those companies that have been disrupted, which can then become disruptors themselves. And so, you know, the great Richard Leonard on a previous show would have been talking about our joint holding in Reach, and who would have been completely disrupted by the uh, internet, etc., and have now become a disruptor themselves. And I think that's the sort of companies we're looking for, because if you can do that, you've already got a customer base. You don't have to go and win a load of new customers. And then you can effectively say, right, okay, how do we take these people on the digital journey and actually apply it? And, you know, the great success that you know Zilla's done at Future um, shows you because again that was a magazine magazine company which has become a disruptor hasn't it and so that's i think that's where you're going to make your money and it's quite interesting when in the whole car market um people people have changed who would have thought that kazoo and cinch would actually deliver a car to you i mean when you were 17 first of all passing your driving test and then walking around to look at a car and there was a guy there with a big sheepskin coat on with a big cigar sort of you know you kick the tires and you kind of go yeah mate you know it's a great little runner you know one owner uh, etc and you get in and you go for a test drive uh well who'd ever thought you'd buy them online mm. and so so again they've disrupted haven't they you know they've watched what auto trader have done and they've effectively come along and said hold on a minute actually we've got the customer base here let's get disruptive ourselves and a lot of these companies because they've had like you know, it's staying with the car companies. You know, when they've come in to see me, I've said, look, you, you, it's like you've won the lottery, haven't you? You've won the lottery. It's like you've had a rescue rights issue without issuing any more shares. You've suddenly got this super profit. Do not waste it, right? And the, the guy, look, as the new chairman, he's ex-Domino Pizzas, and he's come in and gone, why are these, why are these companies' shares so cheap? You know, it's quite a big company, and we're actually going to take this and go into AI. And the guy at Inchcape, uh, if you get a chance on the, the website, listen to the webcast if it's on there. You know, Inchcape is now an, is a data-driven company because actually they know all about you when you get in the car. And they say, how you monetize that? Again, actually taking what 
seeing what other people have done in other sectors and then disrupting. And are there any sectors that you think are ripe? You've talked sort of media, you've talked the motor market. Are there any sectors that you're particularly looking at because they're a particularly disrupted sector? No, I think we're just looking right across the piece, really. I think, you know, the big question to me is because property is property in the smaller mid cap index. You know, it's 20 percent of the FTSE small cap index now property excluding investment trust, is 12.5% of the 250. It's probably our biggest underweight. Why? Because when I started managing money in the first quarter of 1989, I inherited a load of property companies, and most of them are just halved in price. So I'm the worst sort of property investor. But you've got to look at it now and say, well, actually, you know, if demand picks up, there's a lot of cheap shares here. And so that's one area that we're kind of forcing ourselves to go and have a look at because it's any corporate activity and people are looking for some sort of inflation proof in terms of rents, you know, like to Granger, et cetera, with their sort of RPI plus uh, products, then that could be attractive. The trouble is you can't just, you know, rule out whole areas of the market, can you say that's it? You know, you've, got to, you've just got to keep looking at everything. And this year it's been interesting. I mean, you talk about the FTSE 250 with property companies, but the FTSE 250 in the FTSE 100 have actually performed pretty well by comparison with, say, AIM, which is unusual, really. Um, well, it's only unusual if you've got a lot of AIM shares, I guess. Well, <laughs> FTSE 100 doesn't really seem to be a, a, a growth market. You know, if you want to get the maximum growth, you wouldn't necessarily go into the FTSE 100. It's funny, do you disagree? It? Yeah, I do at the moment. I think the FTSE 100 looks cheap, actually, which yeah, I'm, talking about, I'm talking against my book here. And... You know, if I personally, the last thing I bought was raw mail, for example, you know, because I looked at the numbers, buying back 9% of the, the equity and it's got a billion in cash. And on the call, the first speaker was the union rep who said, everything's great. Yeah, I don't know what they paid him to say that, right? But, you know, and then I had a call with like Land Securities, Mark Allen and Vanessa, who's the FD, she's gone from Granger. Yeah, we're completely changing this company, we're moving out of offices, we bought the old uh, media centre up in Stratford and we're reconfiguring it. So, I, And then you look at, you know, you get wise that floats at 8.6 billion, I can't remember what the number was now, and you think, well, actually, you know, it's not beyond the wit of man or woman to say, actually, Lloyds Bank, could you do that? Yeah. So this is very interesting. People forget, you know, just going back to my that thing I said earlier about, you know, you'd argue that all the FTSE 100 have been disrupted. But now they've suddenly gone, hold on a minute. We've used COVID to actually reduce and shrink our workforce. We had a great excuse there. We can now focus down our tech spend. We can actually go and take on the likes of Wise, Klarna. It's not like we haven't got the customer base. So, and they've got real profits. And then on AIM, you've had like a real mishmash, haven't you? You had all those COVID stocks, you know, like Novasite, Avanta, all these things. EKF, you know, I've owned some of them, which have gone to the moon, and then oh, where are the earnings gone? Yeah. And then we've had that, all that online shopping, etc., with Boo and ASOS, and then people have gone, hold on, this supply chain. Yeah. And then Marks and Spencers have come along and said, actually, we're going to make 500 million. People forget that's only half the peak profits. They made a billion when Stuart Rose was there. And people go, well, actually, this could, this could be interesting. They've actually started fighting back. And so, you know, I like AIM, but when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the FTSE 100 and thinking, actually, 
this could be a really good performing market next year. Completely written off. The companies have got their act together. They're now effectively taking on the disruptors. The, the breakdown in the supply chain has given them the muscle. So if you're a food supplier, are you going to supply Aldi and Lidl, or are you going to supply Tesco's if you've got a limited amount? So it's, it's very interesting dynamic now. They're not writing off AIM because there's a lot of interesting companies on AIM. But it's like anything, you've got to look at sometimes you've got to look at the market caps of some of these companies on AIM and say, really? I mean, really? That is a, that's a lot of money to pay for growth, which is not nailed on in this new environment. And it's low risk going with FTSE 100. Well, in theory, and everyone goes, yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dividend dinosaur. You know, it's full of dividend dinosaurs. But you look at it, and it's, you know, I think there's some interesting companies. And you've got management teams like Mark Allen c- coming in from uh, St. Mobwins, did a great job there, turned it around, sold off a bit. And I just feel there's a lot more brave management teams in there, in the FTSE 100 now, who are prepared to say, right, OK, what we're going to do is we're going to revitalise this company. We're going to sell off the, the, the state bits. Because if you don't do it, you know, suddenly, you know, the word activist has replaced Delta, hasn't it, in terms of, you know, the effect on the market. And suddenly, you know, Elliot have popped up at Glaxo, rumours of Taylor Woodrow, uh, Inclinogen, which is a name company, but it's still a billion. And then you've got uh, the people increasing their stake in Pearson, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know something happens at Johnson Matthew now has fallen out of the FTSE 100. And so you've got all these people looking at these companies and saying, well, actually, there's quite a lot of value there. So who do you think or which companies do you think are going to move the dial for you next year? Is it generally your larger holdings or is it the ones under the radar that we're not so clear of that suddenly double and triple in value? Well... You know, I'd like to think there, there's lots that are going to double and triple in value, Samson, you know. And, uh, you know, I'll be off to church on Sunday just to, just to pray for them, probably. Um, but, you know, you look at our big holdings in 250 land, you know, our largest holdings still remains Fraser's, you know, which has uh, continued. I think we've got a trading update this week, uh, which has continued to perform pretty well. And, you know, and then we've been carried out on things like Studio Retail and M Brown, which I've spoken about in the past. And you look at it and you think, well, actually, victims of the supply chain, they're not immune. And you think, well, actually, they are doing everything right. But the stock market has decided, a bit like with the car retailers, there's like a whole raft of companies that are almost put in the uninvestable camp because they're not shiny and new. You know, I'd rather have the Hut, Deliveroo, Dark Trace, Alpha wave, well, for a couple of days anyway, yeah. And so it remains to be seen what happens over here. Now, does sort of bid activity pick up? I think the fact that, you know, Clinogen, you couldn't give it away. And then someone comes along and says, I'd like to buy it. Well, we can't have it now, can you? It's far too cheap. It's gone up 25%. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that, a lot more companies saying, actually, we'd be better off combining. And a lot of these private equity firms, you know, if you're sitting there with the RAC or, you know, would you be better off merging it with something on the UK market and doing it that way? So I think we see a lot more mergers of private equity and public companies, actually. That would be a theme which we haven't seen for a long time because private equity probably say, well, actually, we're better off doing this and then getting the synergies because we can't get the premium for floating the shares compared to what we last financed them at. 
And with Studio Rita, which you referred to, yeah. I mean, they did they overpromise to the market? Because the figures were actually very good, but they were just, the earnings forecast have now dropped back 18%. So yeah. did, should they have just not been so ambitious with their forecasts? And actually the figures on their own would have then been, look good. You know, I think well, forecasting's a hard thing, isn't it? You know, I had a long call with them, actually, you know. But when I get when things like that happen, you know, the first question I ask a company is, okay, if you had your time again, what would you have done? Yeah, what would you have done differently? And in this case, they said, uh, well, we wouldn't have done anything. You know, we, this was a transition, and actually, was was sort of raining raining it, it, it in, um, and the PE's gone from five to six or whatever. And so, but people go, well, actually, it's you know, yes, this business, but. It was all about disruptors. You know, it used to be a catalogue business. And now it's all online, and now it's bespoke finance. So the FCA like that. So actually, and what they do now is, if you want credit, then you have to effectively hand over your bank account. So they know exactly how much money you're spending on everything, mm. and what you can afford. So it's the FCA, FCA love that. Right, because there's no mis-selling. And actually, you know, their target was to get to a billion of turnover. So they get there, they probably make about 75, 80p of earnings. When that happens, I don't know. You know, you've still got Mike Ashley with his shareholding. He's underwater now. We'll see what happens. But, you know, we've had that. And then Brown, people have just gone, actually, that's too difficult. I'd rather go and buy Klarna, really. Yeah, because that's buy now, you know, buy now, pay later. Well, actually, it's the same as this. Yeah, but it's, it's Klarna, isn't it? It's, it's shiny and new. So what did Studio Retail say when you asked them what they wished they'd done differently? I mean, they were hit by supply chain. They were hit by um, online marketing costs going up. But their women's fashion has been a problem. So Yeah, but apart from that, everything's fine, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think when you look at it, you look at it and they go, well, yeah, Supply chain, okay, they've got, they're probably not too bad on the supply chain. Do I think they've, you know, erred on the side of caution? Yeah, I probably think they do. They have done, which is the human reaction. You know, they could have made the numbers a lot better, but they decided, you know, because they have a, everyone has a black box which calculates your bad debt, right? Provision. And the bad debt provision said it should be 13 million lower, which would made the numbers like off the stratosphere. But they said, no, no. We think that's wrong. We're going to take that out and be prudent because actually we can see the rate of defaults perhaps increasing as people come off furlough, etc. But again, it's like you know companies like Just or whatever. If they, they're almost in the sort of too difficult camp to analyse, and people go, and then the thing that really has disappeared from the stock market is any form of patience. Yeah. You know when I first started. We had like a sort of data stream printer, which would like, you know, you, you, when, when it was your turn, you could put your sector up or your portfolio, which you then, and it would give you the movement of the share prices. And, uh, you know, if something moved like 10% in the year, people go, it's probably a bit racy for Schroeder, isn't it? A bit racy. <laughs> now, if it doesn't move 10% in a day, people go, that's boring, isn't it? let's get rid of it. Yeah. So we might be in for an upside re-rate to studio retail. We might be, but, you know, fingers crossed. But, you know, it's... You do. I find in the in your portfolio, it, you don't want too many of these companies. Whereby, you know, they, they're sort of they're over there doing nothing, but in the end, you can't have too many of these high growth companies. So it's, it's having a balance. 
And I think, you know, I think most, most people have learned from this year, and we're always learning this job, is when you've made some money, sell some. Yeah. You know, I've, my oldest lad has discovered the joys of the stock market. And I said, really, Max, really? And yeah, it's just been... So he, he buys his shares, and then he says to me, look, Dad, I mean, they're the wrong... Pro- Why are they not going up? Why are they the wrong price? I said, Max, welcome to my world. Just like you've got one share there to worry about. I've got like 230. And... Uh, <laughs> And then they go up and he says, I think they're going higher. I mean, so, so you're the expert now, eh? right? Because I can't tell him what to do or anything. He's on his own because of compliance. And I said, look, you know, if you sell some, then get the money back from the broker, take the profit out in 50 pound notes, there'd be three of those, right? Whatever. And then look at it and then go and spend it or put it on a card and have that as your entertaining card and then go and spend the money because otherwise it won't mean anything to you. And I think that's what people get out of the habit. You know, people would say to me, oh, yeah, I've only made like five grand. And I said, I'll tell you what we do then. Let's go to the bank. Let's get five grand out in 50 pound notes. And I'm going to pick someone at random in the street. And you're going to walk up to them and tap them on the shoulder and say, I'm sorry, that it's only five grand. And give it to them. Right? And then tell them it's only five grand. More painful when it's the other way and it's gone down five grand. Yeah, but that's, that's where patience comes mm. in. You know, people just say... You know, even it's got to me now. Maybe it's an age thing, I don't know. But, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, what's going on? So Tremor would be a classic case, right? Eight upgrades, shares are up up 51% this year. They were up, I don't know, 80 90%. And, you know, and then they start going down. People go, what's going on? And then fear feeds on fear, and then no one knows. And then I went and read the transcripts of the results, and they've got a call with um, Raymond James. I think today on the 6th, which should be able to get on their website. Uh, just, just to convince myself that actually the deals they've been doing, getting embedded in every Toshiba TV, should be fine. But it's the, it's the fear and it's the unknown. People go, oh, yeah, Trade Desk is down, Magnite's down. Yeah, Tremor, yeah, I'm a bit worried about that, you know, the margins. And then the, that's what happens. And there's no liquidity in the market. And so sometimes you have to almost like turn your screen off and go, you know what? I think I'm right. What is the point of scaring myself to death? I'm going to walk away. I'm going to take, just go out, walk around the block, go to the gym, and I'll come back. So I'm not investing on a one-day view. And I think it's true for, you know, when I'm following the Twitterati, you know, my God, what's happening? You know, it's up, it's down. And then suddenly you get sucked into that world. And sometimes you have to walk away and go, actually, I'll go and read a set of reporting accounts because I'm not buying it for a one-day view. But it is extraordinary on Tremor. I mean, yeah. it's just absolutely extraordinary. Do you, if you had to pick one company that would be bid for next year, would that be right up there or well, which would it we, be? Well, we've, you know, you can see from Sky that the major shareholders have um, lost the board to sell themselves. And that is, you know, a fear factor. I think, what do I think? A long shot, I think maybe... Indivio, Indivio, you know, which is the old uh, uh, opioids thing. You know, that's a conference call worth reading because they're going into the cannabis market. They're going into the schizophrenic market. And it's quite interesting. So it used to be a company quoted in the UK called GW Pharmaceutical. Mm. Cannabis. So it used to be blindfolded and taken off to a cannabis farm. I mean, every student's dream, right? And uh, then you'd have... And they were using, you know, the opioids, which were going to help with um, MS, 
and that didn't really work. And then they discovered it actually works pretty well. Schizophrenia, and they've just been bought for seven point two billion dollars by jazz in the states. So I think it's something slightly off piece like that, which no, you know, everyone goes, oh yeah, the fines, you know, the, the litigation, but that that is just the price of doing business. But if they can crack the cannabis market, and all those people, you know, that truck driver recently, he was out of his head on cannabis, and the states are now starting to. Uh, Say, right, if you're in prison, you've got to be on this stuff, you know, replacements before you get out rather than when you get out. So there's a lot, I'm not saying go and buy them now, but, you know, just go and read something about it. And if you're a doctor and you've got any information, then please contact me. <laughs> and with Crystal Amber, obviously they've got holdings in De La Rue, Allied Mines, um, equals, equals, ready Northgate. So there's a huge overhang for the holders of those shares at mm. the moment. I'm quite interested from an institutional perspective, from your perspective, what you do when you've got a large holding that you need to liquidate. Does the broker sort it out and provide an orderly market or how does it play out? Well, I'll give you my experience of, of one particular stock. So when... Sports Direct was going to the FTSE 100. Oh, I think I had about 100 million quid in it, maybe a bit more. Um, Merrill Lynch, in their infinite wisdom, came round, six of them, I think it was, um, to as they were broker, and they wanted to make sure we're going to have an orderly transaction. And the advice they gave me was, right, we need to wait for an event. I said, yeah, okay, what, what, what? And the guy said, well, look, England are playing next week. And if they win, that might be a good opportunity. I said, well, I said you're having a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> What's that got to do with it? So, yeah. So, yeah, brokers are incredibly useful at this point in time. And then we just sold them as they went up. So, basically, you've got, you got an overhang. So, with Crystal Amber, it's, it's a different situation. He's got this activist who's effectively said, wind up your funds. So, at the moment, we're in a sort of Mexican standoff, right? So, he's been, sell he's been selling sort of Daniel LaRue. As we affectionately know it, one pound eighty, and we're bidding in one pound forty. So he's gone no, but you know he's got a finish line. We haven't got a finish line. He's got a finish line. So that's what happened. So as we get closer, then you know the price might recover a bit, or some you might be able to find a trade buyer. But that's that's life. And at this time of year, you don't want to really be doing anything in any size because. You know, there is no, the only liquidity is to be found in the local restaurant or pub, quite honestly. It's not in the stock market. <laughs> What's the deadline for it? I think it's about 15 months, isn't it? But, you know, but I think people have to, as they often say on Twitter, don't they? Do your own research. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, with institutional liquidity generally at the moment, is there a lot of money sloshing around? So, you know, we've been exhausted by IPOs and placings. Is there still lots of money looking for a home? I don't think there is. I think, you know, UK equity is now sort of 3.5% of the MSCI index. You know, US is sort of 65. Japan, you know, it used to be bigger than the US. Japan's down at seven. So the pools of liquidity... Are mainly in the US. I think in the UK, people are just, you know, at a, a torrid year. You look at the IPOs, most of them are underwater. You know, you've got to join the stock market for the right reason.
which is to raise capital to invest and then pay a rising stream of dividends out of a rising stream of earnings to the underlying holders. You know, it doesn't say, you know, we're coming with a golden share and I have a 700 million share bonus and, oh, sorry, the shares are down 70%. I won't mention any names. But, um, you know, that's not the way it works. And, yeah. So I think there'll be... I'm looking forward to someone doing the analysis for the year end. Like these are all the, the new issues. What happened next? And for you, if you've got um, money to spend to invest, do you prefer an IPO? Do you prefer a placing? Do you prefer to buy an overhang? What, what's your... It's quite interesting, actually. I, I, I would prefer to buy an overhang. Yeah, one of my good mates, who I won't mention, big hedge fund manager, he's got, he's got a fantastic skill that he only likes to buy shares that go down. I mean, that is a real skill. That is a real skill. And then get a position and then do something about it. Most people like to buy shares that go up because they feel comfortable you know, with the crowd. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's okay. And so you're looking for things like, okay, if it's going to be a placing, what sort of discount? But quite often, you know, and I'm you know, looking back in time, during that first pandemic, you know, the best things I bought were those companies which were already listed, like Azar or whatever, um, and I always find you, you find far better value in the second-hand market than you do in the new market. It's like buying a house, right? Yeah. And that would exclude placings as well. You're really looking for something that's sort of in distress. Yeah, because a lot of the placings, you know, people go, yeah, books multiple times covered. Or something. Hold on. So you've got five book runners. So everyone gives them the same orders to each book runner, and they've multiplied that by five. Mm. And then yeah, shares have opened at a discount. So it's multiple times they've subscribed. So that's the try. You might as well just yeah, be prepared to miss out. And it comes back to this, we were talking earlier about sort of patience. Mm. And our patience comes FOMO. So if you've got no patience, then FOMO is magnified. And so, oh my God, it's a placing, it's a hot placing. Oh, it's gone down. Mm. Yeah, well, they put it in some hedge funds who sold them immediately. You think, Christ, I mean, how long that fund's going to last then? Yeah. And so it's, it, one leads to another. And you refer back to COVID and how the, the COVID evolved. What, what went well and what went badly? What didn't happen as you thought it was going to? And what went even better than you thought it was going to? I think what, would, what surprised me was how well so many sort of travel and leisure stocks recovered. I mean, I remember sitting in front of a client yelling at me, going, you know, mate, what are you doing? I mean, wasn't it obvious that? And I said, well, look, they've got fifty percent more shares in issue, and they're back to the. Who are the, you referring to? Uh, which company? But things like you know, Jet Two or Weatherspoons, oh. you know, EasyJet, etc. They've got fifty percent more shares in issue, and yet the shares are back to nearly where they were, sort of pre-pandemic. Yeah, but you know, it's a recovery, and SSP would be another. So you know. That we that, that confused us, but we didn't panic, and we just you know that that that's come right. But I think the thing that surprised me is pleasantly surprised me is the speed at which management have taken this pandemic to refocus their businesses and effectively do five to ten years <clears throat> worth of change in a year. Yeah, you know, Lookers would never have got rid of twenty five percent of the workforce. Probably too many, actually, as it turns out. But you know, those sort of changes wouldn't have happened. 
So I think that's, that can be only good news for a lot of companies, actually. You know, if you did nothing during the pandemic. And I remember at the start of the pandemic, one of my clients phoned me up and said, look, we're going to, uh, can we send you another $250 million to your bank account? I said, I'm not sure, not sure you've got my personal details, actually. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was pretty nervy, you know. And they doubled their money. And they said, right, okay, we'll have the original stake back. That's fine. And, you know, it's, it, it's, what it's taught me is you've just got to be ballsy. You've just got to be prepared to back yourself and not really get hung up on intraday moves. And, I'm, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do now and say, right, okay, I've kind of forgotten the lessons I learned during COVID over the last three months because actually we've had like a mini COVID, haven't we? Mm. We've just like, you know, the stock markets, all the favourites have fallen, but everything's fallen. Mm. Um, we're rushing around and we've, we can't see the wood from the trees and they've got to stand back and just sort of join the dots. So, you know, Royal Mail today say, actually, if anyone knows anyone who's got a van, can they give us a call? I'm paraphrasing this, right? Mm. And you think, well, actually, it's pretty good news for Reading Northgate, isn't it? Mm. Because, and then it just thinking sensibly like this, take your time and then think, actually, what does that mean? various things rather than be this far from the screen it's up it's down phoning people what's going on well they know as much as you don't mm. you're far better off to say right i bought it i bought this on a three or five year view even at my age and so you know if it goes down a bit i might buy a few more if it goes up a bit i might sell some and then wait for them to fall back and then buy them back so you're using the volatility to actually buy at the moment uh, selectively yeah but you've got you've got to be prepared to sort of you know tr trade these things and you know we, we we do that with all our, all our holdings you know if they go up then we'll sell a few and if they go down we might buy them back you know because you know shares are for buying and selling really not for collecting and how do you view director sales you know telecom plus have just he's just sold about two million it's always a good reason though <laughs> is it good enough He's, he's, so Charles Wigador, executive chairman of Telecom Plus, very interesting man actually, very interesting guy. He kind of uh, he was in the states, and that's where he got the idea for sort of uh, Telecom Plus. And he's he's been he only sold them because the institutions went to him and said, "Look, can we buy them?" So that's all selling. You kind of go, "Well, actually, that's quite interesting." And Tremor selling. Well, Tremor, unfortunately, have gone to NASDAQ. And over there, you effectively sign a piece of paper, as I understand it. And so it's blind sales. So when, when you get gifted the shares, and share compensation would be my main bugbear with that company, along with you know anything in that space. And people just say, you know, we sell them because that is the blind agreement we signed up to but do, am I happy with it no and that's probably maybe why the major shareholders of which you know there's, there's two others have said um actually why don't you sell the business then so go. selling generally isn't a, a big no-no for you if you it, it, it's, it's the quantum is the money is the factor you know and you, you kind of look at it and say right okay you know the best some management teams are really good at buying selling shares in their own company. We just use that as a sort of proxy. Who's really good at it? Well, the best one is, old my, of course, the one lonely Mike Ashley, isn't it? You know, in fact, he's so good that I've phoned him up one day and said, Mike, I've just been watching your share trading patterns. Um, I'd like to offer you a job in fund management. 
<laughs> he said, Andy, that's very kind. He said, but I've had a look at how much fund managers drink and I don't think I can keep up. <laughs> but he's been, he's been an absolute master. So do you think buying is actually more indicative than selling? Well, what they do is they go, oh, my God, the share price. This, this movement's an absolute joke. You know what? I'm going to go and buy 10 grand's worth of shares, yeah, or 20 grand's worth of shares, just to show my commitment. They never sell 10 or 20 grand, do they? They sell like one or two million. So, yeah, no, the sell, you've got to keep an eye more on the sales than the buys, unless it's proper, proper numbers. And final question for you. I don't think you're a Bitcoin man, but what do you make of Bitcoin? So it's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, um, I could pull out a £20 note from my pocket and on it would say, I promise to pay the bearer. And you know, I've always been grown up and gone, well, actually, you know, that's banks, isn't it? I promise to pay the bearer. The trouble is, we printed quite a lot of I promise to pay the bearer notes, haven't we? And the thing about Bitcoin is that there's only a finite amount of Bitcoin. So there might be something there on that basis in that you can't get any more. Now, it would help, I suppose, if you know the main proponents of its use weren't the Venezuelan government and every sort of drug dealer. You know, and actually, uh, you could really use it to buy a Tesla. But, you know, so if you could get it a bit more mainstream, then I think people would say, yeah, that might be, that might be interesting. Because people forget, you know, we used to transact in gold and then a note came along and we said, people would have gone, hold on a minute, can I have the gold? Yeah, it's, it's all back, it's all back, don't worry about it. And we all come off the gold standard and, well, what's it backed by? Yeah, at least there's a finite number of Bitcoins. So it sounds like you're almost coming round to the concept of it. It needs a bit more time, yeah, but yeah, you're almost yeah. there. But that's what you've got to do. It's like NFTs, isn't it? You know, non-fungible tokens and DeFi and all this sort of stuff. And actually, you know, we were there with Argo, blockchain, etc. As a fund manager, you must have, a, have to have a bit of these things to maintain an interest because, you know, the world's continuing to evolve. So you can't say oh, it's never going to work. And just... Going on to NFTs, where do you think you can get the best exposure to them? I'm still working. I'm still looking at that, actually. I'm still trying to launch my own NFT. I think it'd be incredibly valuable. <laughs> I'm sure it would. <laughs> Andy, thanks so much indeed. Tell people where they can find you and find out more about the funds. Well, you know, Schroeder's, you know, you can obviously listen to my extensive collection of PI World interviews, very, especially at Christmas. Uh, and, you know, on the website, you can get the fact sheets. You can contact me on LinkedIn, which a couple of people did over the last interviews, and I had Teams calls with them. So, you know, the offer's there because I'm interested to hear about how you make money and what you're thinking. In fact, what we haven't talked about is sell it to the city. So tell us about the background of that, how it came together and what you're looking for from contestants. Yeah, sell it to the city. I had that crazy idea that, you know, after you very kindly, after our first video, I think you said to me, old man, yeah, have you, I doubt you've got a Twitter handle, have you? And I went, actually, I have. And uh, that's how I got involved in Twitter. And uh, with my 960 loyal followers now. It's building quite fast. <laughs> like and so and then I thought, actually, and then this guy, Ryan C, contacted me on Teams and he, you know, talked through his portfolio and someone else. And I conversed with Cockney Rebel and, you know, and I suddenly thought, actually, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting people out here who've got some interesting ideas who don't strike me, mate, the ones I'm talking to perhaps, as a sort of pump it and dump it crowd. 
um, why, they've got a lot to offer here. So then we had a chat and we I said, well, this idea, someone else came up with the title, said it to the city, took credit to them. And we, we, you know, that first episode, it was a bit of fun. I mean, you know, a brilliant presentation from that young kid on Wise Group, but 156 times earnings, we couldn't quite bring ourselves. That to, was right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Cotton Rebel wins. And, and, and Who came up with the name, by the way? Did he? That yeah. was good for him. And, you know, then three fun managers. And I just think, you know, it's how we get it mainstream now. You know, I've been talking to the papers trying to say, right, OK. And maybe when we do the next episode in January, that might be a time. But, you know, I'd say to anyone, if you come and have a go, really. You know, the great thing about the fund managers we've got at the moment with uh, Judith and Stephen is they're very knowledgeable and they're not going to attack you. You know, it's here. You know, it's here to make you look good. And to help you, it's not to, to make us look good. And what advice would you give to someone that wants to make a presentation and is a bit scared about it and doesn't know quite how to go about it? Well, it's quite interesting, actually. You know, I've just been helping my eldest lad with his latest presentation. Um, he doesn't listen to any of my ideas either. But, you know, it's, you know but in his presentation today, I said to him, I said, Max, I didn't know that. So tell us something we don't know, you know, because that is how you're going to win. Tell us something we don't know and make it interesting. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed, Andy. And to all our listeners, you'll find more interviews like this on piworld.co.uk underneath PI Wisdom. And you can subscribe to get a notification of a video as it's published. Go to the top right-hand corner, just down slightly and subscribe and you'll get no spam. Many thanks for listening and stay well. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.